Welcome to another Pitching to Contact. My name is Rich Burfer and I'm joined as always by my co-host, my partner in crime, Pete Horner. What's happening, man? I have been great, Richard. How about yourself? It's It's been a Monday, so it's been a long day. Uh, got back home from school at like 7 o'clock. It's been a really long day. Uh, but anyways, uh, we got a really exciting uh, episode for you guys and gals today. We are joined by Matt DiOrio and Paul Searles of the Sports Science Lab based out of New York. Guys, how's it going? Good, man. Well, How you doing? Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's... We, you guys are going to have to kind of communicate, so you guys are not speaking out of turn. It seems like both of you guys are calling in. Um, but, yeah, but anyways, um, it's kind of hard not to get blown away when you jump onto your website. I, I checked it out a few times before this podcast, and it looks really, really cool. So what do you guys do at your lab? What sort of athletes do you work with? Um. Yeah, so we we work with basically every every kind of athlete there is. We have from youth all the way up through professional level and everything from football to mixed martial arts to tennis, fencing and everything in between really. Um really what we do is we're we're most known for our global athletic assessment. It's the the first day of training that any athlete goes through with us is putting them through a very extensive uh, assessment process and then based on all the um, information that we get out of that assessment it identifies injury risk and imbalances and different things that um, are going on with an athlete's body. We get a whole bunch of objective information, and then we use that to create their training program based on what we find, how, what we need to correct to reduce risk of preventable injury, as well as, like, help the athlete reach their goal and ultimately succeed in whatever sport they're, they're participating in. Awesome. And what is kind of your guys' background? Like, how did you guys get into this sort of stuff? Um, I guess I'll go first. Uh, I've both Matt and I both have a baseball background. Um, I played through college uh, at the Division three level at the College of New Jersey. Um, after that, I was coaching baseball for a little while, and then I got into strength and conditioning field, where I was working at a Division three college out in Pennsylvania. Um, and then just through, like, found the lab, ended up getting a job here, and just have been here ever since. It's been great. So I kind of went through. Thought I wanted to do baseball was, you know, loved, loved coaching. But the thing with Division three baseball coaching, if you've ever met anyone who's done it, uh, most of the year you're spent recruiting and communicating with kids who aren't actually on your team. And you don't have a whole lot of time to actually coach the athletes that you're working with. So by switching to strength and conditioning, I found that I could coach all year round and didn't have to spend time trying to just recruit kids. Um, mm-hmm. And then once I started doing strength and conditioning, just totally fell in love with it and knew that this is kind of where I'm supposed to be. So that's, that's my role here at the lab. I'm one of the strength and conditioning specialists here. Um, so, yeah, once, once I found the lab, been working here, loved it ever since. Mm-hmm. How about you, Matt? Yeah, so for me, baseball, baseball background, um, went to play baseball in Staten Island, got an opportunity to play at the University of Central Florida, played there for three years, and then had another opportunity to go play professionally for the Pittsburgh Pirates in the minor league system for a little bit. Um, it's interesting, I was actually an athlete here at the sports science lab I found the lab last year around um, around December or so, and it, it's interesting how it worked out because I had gotten released this April, and you know I, wow. I had two options: I'd either fall into this hole of just sulking and uh, poor me, or just kind of jump back on my feet and kind of bounce back. And I knew 
I actually took the auto train home. While during that trip, about halfway through, it was you know what? I have to get back in the lab somehow. They do things different there. Um, this place is special, and I mean, I, I studied sports and exercise science in college, so I knew this was something I wanted to do. So me, when I got home two days later, I was in the lab, and I'm I started interning here. Got the um, opportunity they hired me, um, and just fell into place. But that that's how that's how I got here, man. It was I trained here, and it was just different. And now that I'm on the side of things, I see how more extreme it is and how more depth that everything they go into. Um, it's super cool. Wow, that's awesome, man. Wait, how old are you, dude? I'm 23. That you is know? freaking insane. That is awesome. Yeah, so wait, you said <laughs> Pirates. Sorry, I'm, I'm not trying to go on a tangent or anything, but do you know a pitcher named Austin Shields? I believe he was drafted by the Pirates a couple years ago. And he's yes, I know Austin. Yes, sir. You got, did you guys play together down in the minors? We weren't on the same team, but I mean, every time we were at Pirate City, um, whenever we were at our facility, he was there. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, because, um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, because I have a scouting background and um, I've been with Prep Baseball Report Ontario for a few years now. And um, in my first scouting, I got to watch Austin Shields pitch up here in Ontario. And uh, he, I think he was drafted in the 30s by the Pittsburgh Pirates and he decided to sign. But yeah, he was yeah, man, a that's- good athlete. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, yeah, he was with us. Good athlete. I mean, he was a great kid. Mm, no, for sure. And um, just one one last question before I throw it over to Pete. You said how uh, every time an athlete comes into your lab, uh, the important first thing you guys do is an assessment. So say you have a high school player, a young high school player come into your lab and he has all these goals to get better. He wants to, uh, he wants to go play college ball. He wants to get drafted. How do you guys – um, start that process of integrating in, him into your lab? How does the assessment go? And how do you kind of create a plan for this athlete? Yeah, absolutely. So every athlete's a little bit different and every level, like we have obviously athletes of different levels come in. So um, everyone goes through a similar assessment process. We may cater it to an athlete depending on like their limitations or capabilities. But once we have that information about imbalances and you know, different areas for an athlete to reduce risk of injury and where areas to improve, then we put together their actual like training program. Um, now what a young high school athlete needs and what like a, you know, junior in college or like Matt's case professional athlete needs are two different things in a lot of cases. A lot of younger athletes, uh, young high school and below are really just learning how to like move their bodies properly, how to, you know, maybe correct some postural deficits, but really just like master basic movement patterns, which will then do a lot of the, um, the correcting for us. So, you know, our Sean Kukemeister, who's our athletic trainer says, you know, cor- corrective exercise is just proper movement. Like proper movement is corrective exercise. So when we get a new athlete, that's kind of like phase one for somebody who doesn't have much of a training age. It's all right. We're going to get you to move properly before we worry about all the other like crazy in depth stuff that we're going to do. That's a little different if, like, you know, Matt came to the lab. He was already a professional athlete, had a, quite a background of training already. So mm-hmm. when we would go through things like a simple squat, he was already proficient in it. So it wasn't spending time mastering the movement, but it was how are we going to load it, how are we going to apply different um, different stresses to him and to get the maximal result because he's already master- done that foundation of learning how to move properly. And obviously with each individual athlete, each body is different. So there will be certain things like, – Maybe someone's posture is a little bit off, but it's going to be different from how Matt's posture is off or how his body's moving different to somebody else. So really how it starts, every athlete kind of starts the same here. They go through that assessment. And then 
post that assessment, everything kind of diverges. That's where we get really individualized. Um, like what will each athlete benefit from individually? Is it going to be something more basic? Is it going to be a ver like really hone in on a particular area that's holding them back? Um, but for the most part, for younger athletes, especially high school age, the training is a little more general with just basic like movement, like skill acquisition. Mm -hmm. That That is extremely cool. Um, and I think that's perfect to build off the question that I had for you guys, for sure. Um, I definitely think that in the age of like baseball that we're in, just since we all kind of have baseball backgrounds, that like I think it's really cool that developmentally we're starting to become a lot more individualized with the way we develop talent. Because um, I know there's a lot of old school coaches out there that kind of have this one size fits all mentality, which isn't true at all. But um, one thing mm -hmm. that I think, especially with like your company and then other companies like say Driveline or Top Velocity or Texas Baseball Ranch is that things become a lot more individualized. So looking at it from a pitching standpoint, um, what I was going to ask you guys was, is what, why would like, what makes you guys different that I say, okay, why, why go to sports science lab when I could go to driveline or go to top velocity? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um, so what we do, we're not like, um, we, we talk about, we like stay in our lane, you know, we're, we have a baseball background, especially Matt and me, but we're not their baseball sport coaches. Like we're not their pitching coach. So somebody's not going to come to us like, Hey, like teach me how to pitch. Um, we're like our goal and our job is to prepare an athlete's bodies in the best possible manner to like handle the demands of their actual sport training. Um, so somebody comes to us, we go through like the individual individualization that we provide is figuring out exactly like what muscular deficits they have or what they need to improve in terms of like posture or strength. So that when they do do their like pitching practice or work with their pitching coach, their bodies are able to handle it in the best possible, in the best possible way. Um, so the thing that beyond like our thorough assessment that we have that we can, we really can individualize the program, the, the amount of knowledge just with our team, since when somebody trains, it's not just training with one person, not just training with Matt or with me, it's with everybody who works here at the lab. That's everybody from our strength coaches to our sports scientists, to our athletic trainers, to our physical therapists, we have chiropractors next door. So there's a crazy, there's a, a huge background of knowledge that we can pull from. So not only do we have the information, but we have the team to be able to accurately apply that information in the best possible way. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, we don't, we're not a, uh, we don't get all of the actual like sport training in. So somebody's not going to come to us to like learn how to throw a ball. It's what do I have to do to get my body able to throw a ball? Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that makes sense. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just a little bit about me. I actually have a biomechanics background as well. I'm doing grad school up here in, in Ontario at Brock University. And uh, one of the main parts of my thesis is quantifying fatigue in pitchers and trying to develop an ergonomics pitching tool to help pitchers um, try to decrease the risk of injury. And one of the things we do in our labs is use 3D motion capture data. And uh, that's something I noticed uh, looking at your website and doing some research on what you guys do is you guys are really heavy in new technology and using that to optimize performance. Um, so can you guys possibly like touch on what sort of technology you guys use and how does the 3D motion capture stuff that you guys incorporate in, in, incorporate into your stuff help um, optimize performance for athletes? Yeah, for sure. So it's funny, I've, I've been messing around with this a little bit more in um, the last couple of weeks here. 
And what I've been doing is I've been doing, using 3D motion, but I've also added it with our EMGs and our ground reaction force plates. So putting those together, I'm looking to see how the body's moving, um, what's moving first, what's moving second, kind of just see the way the body's going, but also what type of force they're producing when they push off and how much, and if that front leg is able to take that ground rash force effect, um, front leg isn't stable enough, that energy may be used somewhere else. Well, now, instead of using that um, to benefit VLO or arm, they're going to use more stress on their arm because the energy is going to be used somewhere else. So wow. with the 3D motion, though, I'm looking for pelvic speed. I'm looking to see acceleration, um, angles. Depending on the person, I also, would like, I also need a video of them actually throwing, too, so I can have a better gauge of what it looks like because we, we're not going to be throwing a ball in here. Um, mm. So, But that's, that's my way of going about it. Wow. Yeah, like uh, I'm just going to nerd out for a little bit because uh, I also use electromyography and force plate data as well as 3D motion capture. Um, how do you guys kind of do that sort of stuff in your lab? Is it markerless or do you guys use reflective markers with your athletes? Um, you also, do you guys use Vicon for your data? Is that kind of what you use? Sorry, say that again? Um, so, uh, like I said, I, within, uh, in grad school, I also use EMG and force plate data. Um, right. and that's, and it seems like you guys are doing the exact same thing. Um, do you guys use a marker, uh, markerless setup for, um, your athletes or is it like reflective markers? Uh, uh, you guys use like rigid bodies and stuff. How does your setup kind of work? So the way we'll, the way we'll use it is just during our, so like, in addition to like how Matt's experimenting and doing stuff like that, um, in our assessment when we do our when we do the FMS, we'll hook them up to their the 3D motion capture and the EMGs to see, and especially in like the bilateral movements, like the overhead squat, if there's symmetry from one side to the other, just to track basically like neural firing patterns and stuff to see if there's imbalances from one side to the other. Uh, so we'll typically put EMGs on like depending on the athlete, mostly lower extremity muscles. We'll use like glue meat. Uh, rectus femoris, bicep femoris, um, and then our EMGs, we use the Naraxon EMGs, so we'll have um, all the IMUs set up, and they'll use them simultaneously as they go through everything. As far as the force plate, um, we'll use it a couple different ways. We'll do it in that assessment to get an idea of where they're starting out, but we'll also use it daily with a lot of athletes, where they'll come in, we'll gather force plate data from day to day, um, because it sounds a pretty good way of tracking, um, obviously, their power output, so how they're handling stress over time. So we'll see with athletes if they're – we'll see a trend um, if they come in, like, okay, we're going to do this program three days a week. We expect our force output to, you know, trend down over the course of the week, and then after we have a deload, to spike up. So it's kind of a way for, like, to audit our training more or less to make sure that it's going in the right direction, but also to track, like, if somebody comes in and they're – like, we expect them to be – or have a high force output, and all of a sudden they're super low. Like, okay, what's going on? Is this person tired? And we found out – oh, yeah, I had three games yesterday, and I didn't sleep at all. It's, okay, well, now we're going to have to modify our training a little bit. So it's, not, it's using that for, like, that initial benchmark in our global assessment, but then also using it to monitor our athletes through the program to make sure that they're trending in the right direction. That is seriously so cool. Um, I know Richard's over here um, nerding out over there. I'm nerding out over here as well because Richard has a background in pitching biomechanics. Um, I'm also a pitching coach, and I also work – with like Bowling Green over here at D1 with their pitchers. So I'm sitting here kind of nerding out as well. Um, kind of transitioning a little bit more into like the mechanical side, pitching side of things. Um, 
one thing that I was definitely reading a lot about in your um, research and what you guys have on your website is like you guys talk a lot about how like valgus torque and all that stuff leads to Tommy John leads to a lot of UCL injuries. Um, I wanted to ask kind of a more generic question for our viewers kind of at home who don't necessarily understand what that is. I was hoping that maybe you guys could go in a little, go into it a little bit about valgus torque and like the impact that it has on pitchers and how it can negatively impact your UCLs. Yeah, sure. Um, really like more than looking at one thing or trying to measure like valgus torque, it's we try to look at their, their body as a whole. Um, that's why we call it our global athletic assessment, looking globally how they're moving and how to, you know, how the whole system is working together. Um, because we can't really, we don't have time for our space to throw and like really change somebody's pitching mechanics because we're not, you know, we're not pitching coaches. We don't have a mound here. They're not throwing off of it. And we're just really working on, you know, correcting imbalances and making their bodies fire optimally right now. Um, we're not really going so much into their pitching mechanics. We're just trying to do things that will naturally lead over to them, you know, using their lower half more, not uh, relying so much on just, you know, improper firing patterns and throwing just with their arm. Um, so we're, yeah, we're not like, we don't have somebody come in. They're not throwing when they come in here. It's how do we get your body to function optimally so that we can kind of stay or, you know, fend off some of those ailments that will have that happen for, you know, not using big muscles properly and then relying more on small ones. Um, we want big muscles to do big jobs and small muscles to do small jobs. So if we're relying mostly on the elbow, that's obviously like, you know, to accelerate or decelerate the arm and not the rest of our body, that's going to eventually lead to things like that sort that'll eventually lead to injury. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's awesome. Absolutely. Um, just to kind of follow up from that question too, um, like just in general, also for like our viewers at home, like, what like when you look at all your athletes and you assess each single one of these athletes obviously they're all different and they're all individualized but like what common things and what common traits do you see and do you analyze in terms of like when you see a great explosive athlete what common traits do you see that are the same between all of them that's a really great question the the biggest thing that i i mean i'll let matt answer also uh just to see if we have different perspectives on it um for me, when we have like really top level athletes come in that look like different than everybody else, as they're going through their assessment, simple things like, like the functional movement screen is part of our assessment. It's not the only thing we do. Obviously there's a lot more, but it's one component to it. They'll like, they'll crush that a lot of times just because they have really good control of their bodies, have great core strength. Uh, and you'll see an athlete who doesn't have great command of the body or doesn't have basic core strength, won't be able to do something or they'll score twos instead of threes. Uh, so that's like, for me, number one, just command of the body. Um, and when you, giving someone a direction and just saying, okay, we're going to do this type of jump and they'll just nail it on the first try. It doesn't like not requiring a ton of coaching to be able to do a movement properly because they're just really good movers overall. So that for me tends to be the ones tend to be the ones that really, you know, end up being the best athletes. It's like, okay, I don't need to spend that much time teaching this kid how to do a simple counter movement jump. He can do it already. We can focus on other stuff. I don't know, Matt, what, do you see anything different? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with Paul there on that one. Um, one other thing I can add, I've been talking to Paul a little bit about lately too, is you, you can have guys used to come in here, big, strong dudes who can move big weight, but if they can't move properly in a baseball setting, if they can't transfer that weight properly when they're hitting and they can't wait, they, they can't use their weight to throw harder, that it's kind of just being wasted there. I mean, being short mm -hmm. is definitely part of it, but being able to apply that in the sport um, goes a long way and the combination of both of that will 
end result will be a very elite athlete. Um, but it's trying to find a way to have these athletes move the proper way in our setting that we have here without them swinging a bat, without them throwing a ball. Um, that's a challenge that we as a group over here uh, are trying to figure out a little more about of how to get these kids to get a better feel for the body. How, do, how does it feel to load the backside and then release it? What, what is it like? And um, that's, that's the difference that's, uh, of, a, of a guy who's really good, who has understanding of what it feels like to load up and to release that. Um, and then other guys who are just doing it, but it's possible false load that, hey, you're leaving a lot behind there. You're not using the strength, this power source that you have. We've got to be able to tap into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, and just following up on that and how you mentioned uh, weight transfer and power. Um, when I watch baseball, I think Araldis Chapman is probably the perfect example of how a pitcher can generate power. And if you look at someone like Josh Donaldson, that's another, uh, he's a hitter who uses his lower half incredibly to generate power. And with something like baseball being a very dynamic sport, it's a, it's a quick dynamic sport with with simplistic kind of simplistic movements or quick movements like for example a pitch takes two seconds a swing takes only a couple like a second right um how do you guys work with your athletes and really develop that power not so much as just like hitting power but helping their bodies become more powerful and helping them with that dynamic movement um, aspect of the game yeah i mean um after we're done with the global, we go over it. So I'll sit down with Paul with our head sports scientist here. We'll go over it now. There's some things that I'm looking forward to. How, does it, how are their hips? Are their hips allowing this kid to open up? Maybe he struggles with inside pitch. Now, this also comes verbally, too. I have to ask the kid, hey, what are some goals for you? What's the place you've been struggling? And I need to be completely honest. I can't, I can't, I'd rather let them not kind of be around the bush and not really be honest because, hey, you can't get to this inside fastball. There's a reason. Maybe your body's just not allowing you to open up to get to it. Um, your hips aren't clearing out of the way. So especially my guys, I'll have them do a lot of hurdles, um, forward, back, lateral. I'll have them do single leg skater jumps here, but also through the correctives, which those imbalances what that we'll find in our global assessment, most of the time is the reason. And I always say it, when I, when I came here, I was very nervous that they were going to put EMG's 3D motion on me and have me take a swing and then, then try to correct my um, swinging mechanics. And the reason I was nervous was like, yeah, I, uh, special baseball player, I had these coaches already that I don't really know if I want these guys messing with my swing. And honestly, they didn't touch it at all. What they did is they corrected my imbalances that they found. And then when I went to the cage, it translated. So when I, me, getting to that inside fastball, even that high pitch was a struggle for me. After doing these, I have to correct these imbalances. It just happens. Now, doing that with, that's why me and Paul, it's a combination for something awesome because he's got this great strength and conditioning background. He's got this all he was died by, studies it. And then you have my basic background. So us coming together of this, hey, um, strength movements and then the proper baseball movements is that's where we, we go with our athletes in their training. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Matt kind of mentioned it. Like we obviously we get their we get their bodies moving properly. We work on all their imbalances, but then there's also the the general base of strength and power that an athlete needs to have in order to, you know, generate it. If I, the analogy I like to use is if we spend a whole ton of time fine-tuning our engine, but our engine's only four cylinders. We're not going to generate a whole lot of power. Um, mm. So we can correct all these imbalances. We can make sure that we're, you know, we're as mobile as possible, we're as symmetrical as possible, but we need to build up that V8 engine. Uh, so that's where the, the basic strength training comes in. That's where we, you know, we do heavy movements. We do explosives. We do different jumps and med ball throws. And, you know, a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of stuff has been done before, but we know, you know, a particular athlete will need in conjunction with their, their, their specific correctives. So now, 
when we provide that like you know base of strength and power to pull from they're fine-tuning you know a ferrari instead of a prius as they're going through all the you know the global assessment and all their corrective exercises and movement specific for them so it's that combination of the individualized like all right here's how we're gonna get your body moving properly and the general you know strength training that's been, been used for hundreds of years like we got to get strong and explosive so that when we have your body moving properly it's actually transferring force and not just a small amount of force mm-hmm. awesome yeah and we we just got about five minutes left over here but matt uh you touched on something that i f- found really interesting how you said you had your own swing and you came into this lab and they used the mg they used all this data to kind of help improve and change your swing and at first you were hesitant so um, my follow-up for that is you see this in baseball all the time the old school way of thinking that you won't fix something until it's broken um, there's a lot of pitchers a lot of hitters who have their swing that carries them from level to level in the minors all the way up to the majors and say maybe um, a, there's something in a pitcher's delivery that is going to lead to potential elbow elbow pain and an elbow injury in time. But because the pitcher is performing so well, uh, coaches are hesitant to uh, kind of do any tweaks, any fixes to that to that delivery. So, what is your your guys' opinion okay. on health and mechanics versus performance? And if you guys think that you look at a guy like Nathan Navaldi, ninety-nine, and he's electric, but you see all these elbow injuries that that have kind of um, slowed his career down. So when do you think it's important for coaches and for trainers to just step in and be like, hey, I know you're really good right now, but your health – and moreover, how can we fix your mechanics not only to keep you healthy, but to help you maintain that level of high performance? Yeah, for sure. And I see it time and time again with athletes, especially younger guys um, that come in here. They'll get, they'll have a shoulder problem. They'll just be throwing. All of a sudden, something comes up. So a physical therapist look at it. And then with us, we'll start moving a little more, but they'll just keep going out and doing the same mechanics over and over again. Yeah, maybe they throw hard. Maybe it's, it's working. Then another injury comes. Maybe the same thing. Maybe another another spot in the shoulder or in the elbow. That that's it. There needs to be a time where physical therapy and stuff that, that's, that's working, but there's also got to be mechanical change. Sometime mm-hmm. during, especially if you see time and time again of a kid getting injured, then you know what? It's, it's not so much that their arm's not strong enough because mechanics aren't working right. Um, that's that's allowing the coaches, though, too, to be able to recognize that, that's having a good coach's eye to understand, hey, this kid's not throwing right, or he's, he's going to hurt himself somehow. Um, but what, what, Paul could, Yeah, I think it's also, you know, there are also times where I, I think it's not entirely appropriate. Uh, for especially younger athletes, like you get 100%, like you want, like there's a lot of years ahead of their career. Um, but I know, I, I think of myself as a perfect example. I knew there was a, t- I was a catcher in college, um, and I knew the way I threw, like my elbow hurt all the time. And if I played as long as major leaguers, I would have needed Tommy John. There's no doubt about it. My, I had terrible mechanics. But it was like my, my senior year of college, or my junior year of college, I was trying to like, trying to fix it. I was trying to get a cleaner arm action and everything to, to take some shreds off the elbow. And I just didn't have as much zip on it. I wasn't as accurate. And I just I told myself, I'm like, what am I trying to do? Like, I'm, I got a year left of this. Like, what's the point? Like, I, I don't need to save it for the long term. This is working for me right now. That's, this is what I'm going to go with. Because if I took this step back to kind of retool everything and retool mechanics, my career would have been over and I would have been terrible for my senior year. Because I knew that was all I had. I had no hopes of playing pro ball or anything. And then if you look ahead to, like, professional athletes, if you're, you know, it takes – Say Noah Syndergaard, for example. I'm a Mets fan, so I've, I'll go to him. He's, you know, one of, or Jake DeGrom, most dominant pitcher in baseball this year, right? 
if he's looking at himself and, you know, he's already had some injuries in his career, if maybe he says, like, I'm this good, I'm just going to ride it as long as I can until I get hurt, and then maybe I'll get surgery, and then I'll just ride it as long as I can afterwards, and I'll be as dominant as possible. Maybe that's what that athlete chooses to do. It's kind of it's a personal choice that the athlete will have to make. Like, maybe I don't want to get hurt, and I want to play as long as possible, or I'm as good as possible right now. I'm just going to hope, cross my fingers and hope I don't get hurt. Um, so I do think it's definitely kind of dependent on the athlete, where they are in their career. But the, the younger you get, I think the more important it is to clean it up and make sure that you're not going to have injuries long term. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I completely agree with you guys. And again, thank you for jumping on for, uh, for this podcast. It's been a great talk. I really enjoyed the, all the points that we covered. You guys sound like you really know what you're doing. And the sports science lab you guys are working at just seems really, really cool. And it looks like the future of really all sports. And the stuff you're doing there is incredible. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, I'm sure Pete, Pete loved uh, having this conversation. Best of luck to the both of you guys. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, Appreciate thank you it. for having us. That was really cool, Pete. Um, it's really awesome having guests like that on our podcast. Um, it really shows uh, how sports is, continues to grow from a technological aspect and really what they're doing over there at the Sports Science Lab in New York. It's really exciting, and I really loved having those guys on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was just fun to just kind of, like, even me, like, just, like, I want to ask, like, a million questions, but at the same time, I just want to sit there and just listen to what they have to say because there's so many insightful things. Like, I kind of wish that I just had, like, a notepad and, like, a pen just to write down notes as they're talking. And it's just, like, they they have so much useful information that, like, anybody can use. It's great. You just kind of have to nerd out and listen, really. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, man. But just to make a quick transition, um, the LA Dodgers are in the World Series. The Boston Red Sox are in the World Series. I believe a few weeks ago in our first our first official episode, both of us made the prediction that the Dodgers are winning the World Series. Um, are we sticking to that prediction, Pete? Oh, hell yes. Um, yeah, you're going to have to. Yeah, like here's the thing. First off, I want to give as much credit to the Boston Red Sox as possible because honestly, I never thought they had a snowball's chance in hell of beating the Astros in the ALCS, but they did and they took it to them. And I got to tip my cap to them. Jackie Bradley Jr. went off. Nathan Evaldi threw the ball like a god. Like it was just to me, like that was awesome and that was great for them, but there's no way they're beating the Dodgers. There's no way. They're, they're too, the Dodgers are too good. They're too good, man. Dude, playoff David Price kind of showed up there at the end. That's I know. It's like, it's, like, it's like the unicorn finally showed up. It's great. Honestly, I'm, I'm happy for the guy because you, you can just tell he's a good dude just by watching the game of baseball, and you want good, the good guys in the game to succeed, and you mm-hmm. can tell he's been struggling over and over again once the playoffs are in there and there's questions. You're, he's in Boston, man. The media over there in Boston's probably terrible. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. Having a start like that, it's incredible. And you you got to feel happy for the guy. Yep. Okay. And, it's the, and it's the same thing for guys like, say, Jackie Bradley Jr. Like I just said, Nathan Evoldi. Like, Nathan Evoldi has gone through so much in these last two years with all his arm injuries and him bouncing around and just in general finding a consistent place where he can stay healthy and be a solid pitcher with the wicked stuff that he has. And for him to just – come out of nowhere in the ALCS and just kind of throw like he did. That's amazing. Jackie Bradley Jr., the same thing. He's a great fielding outfielder. But other than that, other up to this point, a lot of people don't really tout him that highly as a hitter. And he comes out and he just starts swinging the bat like he did. Like, that's insane. 
It's yeah. awesome. No, you just Boston is just filled with incredible outfielders in their in their outfield, obviously in their outfield. But like uh, Mookie Betts, Ben Attendee, Jackie Bradley, that's like an insane outfield. That's just a, an athletic overload right there. Yeah, it's just pure athleticism, man. Like fighting to watch. Yeah, like Mookie Betts is like to me one of the most underrated outfielders in Major League Baseball, and that's saying something because. Everybody talks about Mike Trout. Nobody talks about Mookie Betts. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm over here just like, Mookie Betts is a really, really, really talented player too, guys. Um, it seems like he's had the quietest 350 batting average season in the world. Like, exactly. You know, Nobody about it. Did you see that one play he made in the outfield uh, gunning Tony Kemp out at second? Yep. And the thing that kind of boggles my mind is how um, – Yes, you're down three runs, and like game IQ, you shouldn't take second. But fact is, Tony Kemp has wheels, and how many outfielders are able to make a play like that and gun a guy like that at second? You know, yeah. Yeah, Like the only other guy that I've had, like at least in my lifetime of watching baseball, that can make that kind of play is Michael Brantley. That is the only other person that I could ever see doing that, and that's just tipping your cap to Mookie Betts because Michael Brantley, up until these last few years, had one of the best arms for a left fielder I've ever seen. So, like, and it's it's not only the throw; like the throw was on the money, but you also have to be quick and get to that baseball and make that. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess in my mind, I understand Tony Kemp. Try to stretch a single into a double, maybe get out of the potential double play because the last thing you need is a double play at that spot. But mm-hmm. that, those are the things that are just incredible. You watch that and you're like, you see that play, and in your mind you're like, Houston just doesn't have a chance. That just just a moral, just a morality breaker right there. But on the on the NL side, we saw an incredible series with the Dodgers and Brewers. And one thing I thought found really interesting with the series was, I thought it, if it was a quick five-game series, I thought it was Brewers all the way because of their bullpen and because of how strong that pen was. But Hayter with Jeffress, who's, you can tell that he was just tired um, down the stretch uh, with Corey Kniebel and all those guys. But if the game, if the series is kind of stretched out and if uh, the Dodgers could get Kershaw just performing like he did, it was the Dodgers series to lose. And I think that's what we saw in that seven-game series of the Brewers, who had an incredible season. They just ran out of gas, and the Dodgers just had way more firepower. Yep. I mean, Kiki Hernandez came out, and I know that's a funny name to kind of mention, but, like, he came out after the first game and just kind of said, look, we played our worst game this season, and they only beat us by a run. Mm-hmm. And that says something. Mm-hmm. Because in general, like – and that's, that's not a shot at the Brewers. The Brewers were an amazing team that came into the postseason hot, and they were playing really good baseball, Like I and I agree with you wholeheartedly. They just kind of ran out of gas. Um, but, like, in general, like, for some reason, baseball always has this weird way of the better team always prevailing, mm-hmm. and the Dodgers were the better team by far, not just on paper, but just by the way they played. And it shows. They're in the World Series now. Yeah, yeah and – and now with the World Series, it's tomorrow. We're recording on Monday. I know the, the podcast gets released every Thursday, but I'm excited. This is two storied franchises going at it. The Dodgers have this drought going on. They haven't been able to get over the hump, especially in the World Series like last year. And Clay Kershaw's pitching game one. And this oh, is- what an animal! Did you see how yes? Did you see how t- like today he was out there doing dry reps or something like that? 
pitch every single game of this series if if he wanted like if if he had the opportunity to do that he would do it for his team and his oh, guy. yes he would yeah. the guy's just an absolute animal it just wow yeah and um obviously with this being um the world series you play an nl team you got to go to the nl park um there are some highlights on tv that you saw mookie betts kind of doing some work in the infield and mm-hmm. of course with no dh in the in the inf- in uh when they go down to LA, it seems like Mookie Betts is going to be playing up the middle. And I, I believe he was a shortstop. He was drafted as a shortstop, but they converted him into an outfielder. So it kind of makes sense, especially if they move into second with Xander Bogarts at, at short already. So yeah. what are your thoughts there? No, no, I was just going to say, from what I'm hearing, they are going to move him to second base, which is going to be pretty fun to see. What's your What's your pick for this series? First of all, I can't wait to see Chris Sale go at it with Clay and Kershaw. And Manny Machado's in this series, and everyone hates Manny Machado. Because he said he wasn't going to hustle. But I was going to ask you on your take on that. But, um, like, he in general, he, he ran a 3.98 down to first. For a guy who doesn't hustle, that was pretty good. Yep. And to me, like, the whole hustling thing, um, you're Manny Machado. Your job is to hit doubles and field a really, really good shortstop. Your job isn't to hustle down the line. There we like, go. And you play it went to to the viewers at home, and I'm not trying to draw a line. I'm not trying to say anything like that. But then, just truthfully, when you play 162 games in a season plus playoffs, and you have millions of dollars on the line, you come to me and you tell me that you're going to hustle down the line every single time in risk of pulling a hammy and risk of risking 20 million dollars out of your pocket. No, thank you. I'm good. I will. I will. Yeah. Like you know what? The Dodgers probably don't want him doing that anyways. Exactly. Pulling a hamstring in game two of a series, that's your one of your most electric bats. Yep, exactly. You want to know what a ground out to th- you want to know what a ground ball to third base is in major league baseball, Richard? It's an out. Mm-hmm. 9.5 out of 10 times, unless he makes an awful throw, it's an out. It doesn't matter if it's Rajay Davis running down the line, it doesn't matter if it's Terrence Gore running down the line, it doesn't matter if it's David Ortiz running down the line. Mm-hmm. It's an out. This isn't college baseball, this isn't high school baseball. It's not where these plays are kind of up in the air because you don't know who's making the play. To me, if you know you're going to be out, why risk getting hurt? Yeah. These are dudes firing bullets across the diamond. Mm-hmm. Manny Machado's not running out a bullet across the mount, uh, across the diamond. Exactly. And on the topic of Manny Machado, how long do you think how, – how many innings into the game do you think it's going to take until Chris Sale throws a pitch at Manny Machado? <sighs> Ooh, um, considering it's the World Series, I think it depends solely on situation. But I mean, let's—I uh, I don't know if I can answer that question. Let's wait and see what happens. Um, fireworks but, open up the series. Yeah, yeah. Um, Richard, who do you got winning this series, though? I know we said Dodgers at the beginning of the playoffs, but like, who do you got at this point in time? Well, um, obviously the Red Sox just have such an electric offense, especially it's so top heavy, but. We both picked the Dodgers. We got to stick with our guts. You never know what's going to happen when baseball. Like we said, the Houston Astros are going to be back in the World Series two weeks ago, and they're not. They they got destroyed. But, I honestly thought they were going to destroy the Red Sox, but they didn't. So, so I'll just stick to my gut. I'll go with the Dodgers. I think it's their time. And um, give me the Dodgers in six games. All right, that's fair. Um, 
I once again not trying to disrespect the Red Sox because I have gained a whole new level of respect for the Red Sox after that series and watching them the way they played against the uh, Astros. Like I have gained a whole new level of respect for them. They're obviously a lot more talented than I thought they were, but in general, just looking at the rosters and looking at the way they play, in general, the Dodgers are to me true by far the better team on paper, and then just also depth-wise, they're a lot deeper, not just pitching, but hitting-wise, than the Red Sox. The Red Sox have an electric lineup, but it's very top-heavy. The thing, so, yeah, the thing for me with the Red Sox is just, like, how's the pen going to hold up? Like, it looks yeah, exactly. Like, how, how are you going to manage that, like, especially this deep into the postseason when everybody's tired? Yeah. But then you have the Dodgers who are just like, oh, yeah, we have a whole other bevy of arms that we haven't even really touched yet. So... Like, to me, it's just a matter of, I think, the better team. And I honestly never thought that I would be actually saying this even before the beginning of the playoffs when I actually did say it. But, like, the Dodgers are finally going to pull it off. The Dodgers are finally going to be the team that doesn't, that doesn't, that isn't known for being the team that just doesn't get over the hump. I'm, mm-hmm. I know what I'm curious about, Richard. I'm curious about, going back and seeing how many hundreds of millions of dollars Magic Johnson and his owner group ownership group has had to spend to win one World Series. Oh, my God. They have a lot of money in that team. One day. One day. But anyways, um, this has been another fun episode. Um, I can't wait for the episode in two weeks when we discuss how the Boston Red Sox won the World Series. Um, um, and then we just get to eat it. <laughs> Anyways, it's been a blast as always. Have a good rest of the week, and we'll be back next week. Later, guys. You as well, Richard.